Yogi Parsha podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we will do a light dive into this week's Parsha, we'll zoom in on one passage that catches our eye, and then we'll connect back to Judaism and our own lives. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Good to be here with you, Paul. Good to be with you, too. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it was just March break, so I had a uh, a bit of a break from some of my tutoring students and had some extra time. And yesterday, I boiled down five gallons of uh, maple sap into maple syrup. Oh, wow. So you made your own sugar shack. My own sugar shack. That's right. <laughs> Just in the backyard. That's the true Canadian dream, a literal sugar shack. It is now my dream. What's going on with you? Uh, well, I will say I want to commemorate us recording in person for the first time. That's like, true. Uh, <laughs> We're here in the same place, not over the Internet. Yeah, not over the Internet, because even though the podcasting software we use is sophisticated, I still always pause whenever you speak. And now we can just yeah, we can just talk over each other. And talk that's over how we usually talk, always interrupting <laughs> each other. <laughs> so yeah, my week is good. I spent the week in Detroit, Windsor, and Ann Arbor. Oh, like, yeah. I uh, love Ann Arbor. And mm. then I did get the chance to visit a synagogue in the suburbs of Detroit. Mm. I don't know, don't remember the name of the town itself, but it was a really great experience. Temple Beth El. Amazing mm. building. Like, just the biggest parking lot I've ever seen. <laughs> so, the, the parking lot was amazing. Their building was mm -hmm. amazing. And I guess the really funny thing about... Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've gone to like an out-of-town synagogue. It's uh, the sermon, the Devar. I guess was it Devar? Yeah, like is very connected to the local community. Like this incident happened at this high school and affected Jewish students like this. Huh. And it was such a novel experience to be like, oh, I'm really like in the thick of it. You know, at this uh, right new community. And I did try something new. They also had um, punch that was made of ice cream and Seven Up. Uh, never had that before, mm. but you know, big shout out to Bethel. Temple Bethel was a really great experience, and thank you for having me. Mm. That's great. Oh yeah, I didn't. These days, instead of, uh, I guess it feels like I'm admitting this, but you can admit it to us. It's not. I'm. It's even. It feels right even that sometimes instead of going to shul on Saturday, Jenny, my spouse, and I go to the farmer's market, which is just a very different experience. But Which one? Uh, the Witchwood Barnes farmer's yes. market. That makes sense because <clears> I know it's open on Saturday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that is a nice farmer's market, you know, kind of a nice smattering of offerings. Yeah, it's very nice. I bumped into my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew just by chance, so it also feels like a nice... We often bump into people, so it feels like... A meeting place. It's true, a meeting place. I've, I've never not bumped into someone at the farmer's market, uh, being the kind of new Jewish area, the St. Clair area. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, speaking of meeting place, I guess that kind of... Let's talk about our historic people's meeting place of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, yes. Uh, and this week's Parsha, which is Vayikra, which mm -hmm. is the first book, first chap, first Parsha of the book of... Vayikra. Vayikra. Of the same name, a bit confusing, but... Confusing, but also easy to remember, you know, like um, Panama's capital being Panama City. Mm. Vayikra's first chapter being Vayikra, Vayikra City. City. <laughs> <laughs> so, as always, you know, if we want to start with our one-minute summary, um, 
Do you want me to go first? Please. Okay. Uh, I will keep myself on the timer. Great. And as you set up the timer, I'll just explain, because maybe people people know or get this already, or maybe we've even explained, but the biblical naming conventions mm-hmm. is that books are often named by their first meaningful word. So both books and parshas are named by their first word. So in this third book of the Torah, which is Vaikra, it's named Vaikra, which doesn't really, well, I was going to say, it doesn't mean all that much. It actually means plenty, because rabbinic commentators go on and on about what all these words mean. It just means, and he called. It doesn't actually have so much of a meaning in itself. It's just the first word of the book. So the book gets called after this first word, and he called. And the parsha also just takes that first word. Is it about called or calling? We'll see in this one-minute summary. We'll see. And, you know, I appreciate that naming convention. You know, thank you, Hashem. Because, uh, you know, have you ever, like, listened to a song and it's not named after either the chorus or the first line? It's very, mm. you know, that song by Google Dolls. And I'd give up forever to touch. It's called Iris. Mm. <laughs> it should be called either I'd give up forever to touch you or, like, I don't know. But it's called Iris. So I'm, I appreciate that, you know, our books are just named after right. the first line. I, I, I like a very straightforward thing like that. Um at least there's a convention. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that convention. So thank you, Moses and Solomon and Hashem, for writing one of them. Writing us all these things. One of those. One of those three, probably. What Solomon wrote. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that wrote another Song week. of Songs, Proverbs, and Moses wrote the books of Moses. The five books of Moses. Okay. So my one minute summary. Let's do this. In this week's parsha. Um, we go through the various offerings and sacrifices in the temple. <laughs> like last week. <laughs> I, uh, eight seconds. Because it, again, it was, oh, you're done. There, okay, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Right. Yeah, like that was, that was my missing summer. <laughs> because, uh, there's just, I guess I could have gone through all of them, but I feel like I couldn't go through them without running out of time. So th- this is, I was like, this is going to be another short summary for me. But I'm curious short to see how, you, how you're going to do it. And I'm going to hold you to, to the one-minute summary. Mm-hmm. So let me know when you're ready. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. In Vayikra, uh, we start getting into the details of what the priests and the Levites would do in the uh, Mishkan, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that was recently just finished at the end of the Book of Shemot. Uh, we get a listing of different kinds of sacrifices uh, and the different detailed ways in which they can be can be performed. Um, and right, sometimes you can do the Ola, which is the first like offering that gets fully consumed on the altar. You could do it with a cow. You could do it with a sheep. You could do it with a bird. And then it goes into the next one, the Zevach Shlamim, another kind of offering, and then the various ways you can do it. Uh, and then there's also some laws about if people, if individuals or the community uh, sins by accident, what can you do? Um, and other laws pertaining to the tabernacle. That, that was a really good, Aaron. Like, yeah. uh, you were brave to try to go into some broad strokes. I was not brave this week. I was like, oh, sacrifices. Yeah. Um, let's, let's chat about that a little bit, because I also feel... Uh, 
right? There is something getting into the book of Leviticus that feels like, oh, we're changing modes. Right? That Genesis and Exodus, mm-hmm. the two books that we've been reading up until this point, are more narrative-driven, and Leviticus isn't. Right? It's suddenly all these laws, which is easy to glaze over and be like, uh... Not only is it laws, it's like detailed, specific things about animal sacrifice that's just very far from our experience. You might feel like it's far from your experience. But you would be wrong. It's, You're wrong. It could not be closer to your experience. And we'll explain oh, how. Mm. Maybe you're setting me up for this. Maybe that's the, the setup. But right, this idea of sacrifice, the Hebrew word is korban, mm-hmm. which means to draw close. Right. So for me, I feel like this... Korban, korban. Hiru, this exactly. is the same, same short word as Shoresh, meaning the mm-hmm. root consonants. Yeah, the three-letter Hebrew roots, kufresh, bet, um, right, mean to draw near. So it's explaining the context in which our ancestors would draw near to the divine or themselves or each other. Uh, and I feel like there is deep spiritual meaning there that I'm interested to get more into. That's a really, I mean, it kind of does dovetail to some of the things I was thinking about when I read this passage, but I mm-hmm. I do want to kind of first, before we go too deep, kind of something that's funny that kind of occurred to me um, when I was reading the passage was the, and you mentioned this word, the ascending offering, the Ola. Mm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Ola meaning to be uh, the classifier noun of something that is ascending, yeah. um, is also the term we use for a female immigrant uh-huh. in Israel, right? Yeah. I, I just I remember I had this friend where when she made Aliyah and I was walking around the market with her, she had this kind of thing she would do that I, I love. She'd like whenever she'd buy something, she'd be like, Oh, Aniola Hadasha, like I'm a new immigrant. Just to kind of yeah. explain like she spoke Hebrew pretty well, but just to explain her accent and explain and the you know, people always be like, Oh good well however yes or whatever they'd say. I don't know. They said they were they're always very happy for her. And I was like, um but the other side, you know, living in Israel, I don't wanna I don't usually like giving my personal opinion, but it seems like it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like it's, you know, in Canada life is pretty Easy. And living in Israel, like all my friends who made Aliyah, mm. I'd say 90% of them, like it didn't take necessarily, you know. Yeah. Um, so just the funny idea that uh, <laughs> you're like a sacrifice, like, oh, mm. like you're, yeah. sure, you're ascending to Israel, but you're also kind of like a sacrifice for this experiment because you might not get a job or you might Ooh. try to find a job at tech or something. This like, is um, a, a spicy drush. <laughs> Following being an Olaz, maybe you're sacrificing yourself to the cause of yeah, like of of, people. Yeah, like when you could live somewhere like Canada or America, where it's really easy to find a livelihood, and then you you choose to move somewhere. It's a more difficult time to have a livelihood among the other difficulties you may have. So, um, so yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. I laughed to myself, like, oh, like sometimes maybe an Olaha the shot really feels like you know, like a sacrifice to the cause because they had to give up so much comfort of living in. Well, I mean. People could come from any country. They come from Brazil or Paraguay. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people we know would obviously come from Canada and America and France and England. So uh, that was just the kind of funny thing I thought I had. Yeah, no, I like this. <laughs> I like this uh, thread of an idea that we're going down. Uh, also, sh- uh, 
I did try to make Aliyah for a time. You, and I wasn't alluding to you, but yeah, I do remember. It's a, I guess and it, it was hard, and I left, right? so I feel those things. But uh, one of my dear friends who was making Aliyah at the same time, who was an Ola, just made this amazing new uh, TV show that's out in Israel and has a bit, it's like getting it recently played at the Sundance Film Festival. It's called Hanshi by Eliza Chanowitz, and it's about an Ola experience. Uh-huh. But like the trials and travails and beauty and romance of making Aliyah. So, so she made out. it, you know, she yeah. stuck, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, like kind of, so just kind of making that connection between Ola, the temple sacrifice of kind of, it's an ascending, you know, though the word Aliyah, I believe as well as also about ascension. And I really like your point about Corbin not being about coming closeness. So I think there's a lot we can kind of go tangentially about getting closer to God through sacrifice and through what sacrifice has become. Yeah, and this is a, I guess, a darker note, but we need not, like, shy away from it. Ola also has historically been translated as Holocaust. So the word that, where it comes from. Right, so this is also part of the, the Ola literally means that all of the uh, sacrifice was fully burnt up on the altar. Right, so I think also like with going over Leviticus in these parts again and again, and maybe we'll tease out some of them as we go through this book. Right, there's like pretty like detailed things that if you're paying attention to what is going on with the sacrifices, like oh, parts of the sacrifice get eaten by the person who brings it, parts of it gets eaten by the priest, part of it is just burnt up on the altar. And what's special about the Ola is that all of it is uh, burnt up on the altar. The priest doesn't get any. The person who brought it doesn't get any. That's like a unique feature of it. But right, this is the the word that was like taken for describing this Shoah experience where people were like sacrificed, and there was right the idea is like almost nothing left over. So you know, I've been to the Holocaust Museum various ones. I was just thinking while you're talking, eight times in my life. Well, four times in Israel, one time in Montreal, one time in Chicago, one time in Toronto. Hmm. So um, when you think of it, you probably have been to the Holocaust Museum. And one time in Vilnius, like in in Lithuania as well. Hmm. So nine times, maybe. Uh, I never knew that Ola uh, line. Or maybe, you know, I am a bit of a glosser, though kind of go through museums quickly, which I realized when I went to Detroit this weekend, I had to walk behind my husband because I otherwise would have just ran through all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of answered a question that I was wondering too, and it reminded me of kind of an interfaith moment, Aaron, that you, me, and our mutual friend had years ago, where I remember one Shabbat, mm-hmm. we were walking through the streets of Toronto as we're wont to do, and we found ourselves, I'm not making this up, in a Buddhist temple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they had, I remember food on some sort of altar Mm -hmm. so it's funny you know thinking like east well actually i'm sure lots of jews find connections between judaism and eastern religions i think jews are overrepresented as converts to eastern religions but that aside you might not think that there's connections to judaism and eastern religions but this idea of having food offerings but then in another tradition seeing food offerings like oh like not so different right kind of a same same moment between what seems like a very different you know religion or philosophy yeah, and I remember there was all these food objects were very beautifully arrayed on the mm-hmm. altar in the Buddhist temple that we went at. And right, there is also some like aesthetics piece that is going on, 
right? And it's in a strange way that we don't understand, like pouring blood and sprinkling blood on the altar. There is also some visual thing that we may not appreciate because we're only imagining and not seeing what's going on. Not that like sprinkling blood is like the most uh, visually appealing thing, but there is, I don't know, I think there, there is an aesthetics to the temple service. Sprinkling blood too, because blood being taboo, I wonder how you would even do that because we're not supposed to touch blood. The priest is, and right, and like what is taboo, right? It's like maybe it's a level of being extra holy that it only is interacted with in this special framework of what's happening in the Mishkan, what's happening in the tabernacle. You know, it's interesting too, because I know we can, and I think we'll probably be talking about this in a moment, but one of the things I noticed too is talking about adding salt in the sacrifice. Mm. And a lot of times on Shabbat, I haven't done this the last six months, I don't know why, we add salt to our challah. Yeah. Is it related to this then? Yeah, I think this is probably the source to remind you, right, that your table on Shabbat is like a reminder of the uh, the altar in the Mishkan or in the temple, right? The Mishkan, this tabernacle becomes the model for the temple that gets built in Jerusalem later. But yeah, on Shabbat, your altar is your table and the salt reminds you that the your food is as if a sacrificial offering. Because we think of Chala as egg loaf, but if I'm not mistaken, it really mm. is literally your portion for the sacrifice right yeah. like uh but for the meal uh-huh. offer if i'm not like for right it's when i, I never could exactly have, trying to think about this situation i'm like why are they just like pinching bread in the temple because yeah also i'm don't quote me on this but i remember seeing on wikipedia that conventional call is based on like slovakian christmas bread so it's like you know hmm. they certainly didn't have the type of challah we eat well they might have but it's probably not so likely it was such a fluffy, delicious, sweet egg loaf. Like it probably. I think it says, if I think in the Parsha, that it's almost always matzah when it's talking about like the. So the gross. Mincha. <laughs> <laughs> right, just a flatbread. It's a certain kind of modest bread, except for uh, sometime around Shavuot. Like there is one time that you bring like fluffy loaves, but usually it's just matzah. And for our Patreon subscribers, you'll get to watch me and Aaron making matzah at home. Oh, yeah. Um, so go to patreon.com slash I'm just kidding. For, <laughs> for all the behind-the-scenes footage. Um, but no, we have been talking for years about wanting to make matzah, and this this year we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And it'll be 95% halachic, except for one aspect of it. Um, I guess the you, need, you usually need a special kind of flour that's been completely unleavened, right? But, you know, we'll, we're just... We're going to grind our own, and I think that will be very... I'm sure that's how people used to do it. That's I'm like, people, I'm sure people didn't do. have the industrial yeah. revolution. The but industrial revolution doesn't make things more kosher or more special. In fact, it removes us from the lived experience, which maybe also to tie us back, mm-hmm. I think is something beautiful that's happening in Leviticus. That's hard. It's easy to, like I do for myself, feel removed from it. But I think there is something in these details about like an experiential way of connecting with all this animal sacrifice uh, that I think is meaningful to connect with, right? Like it, it's kind of going into right all the pieces of right a living creature mm-hmm. that, right, because it's not in our experience, we don't like interact that way in our Jewish lives. We like say words, but this is like very visceral and really being with, right, the insides 
of of an animal and maybe to like also say more about that like I think Leviticus is a book about insides and the center and the core right we see that even like the in its placement in the middle of the five books and this is a uh, I guess this is based off of uh, an anthropological reading by the anthropologist Mary Douglas who did this uh, book wrote a book about Leviticus called Leviticus as literature where she analyzes the structure and connects the book with this different way of thinking like associative thinking and she really lays out how the whole structure of the book kind of maps out onto the same structure uh, of the tabernacle mm. And like there's small narrative portions, and there's also like that serve as uh, the dividers between the different sections of the tabernacle. And it's just this way of thinking that's a little bit more organic. Um, and it is like nested, and there's always this kind of coming back to the idea of the center, right? Even the sacrifices, right? You might think that you would focus a lot on like the head and the tail and the legs, but Almost there, there's some like laying hands on the head, but almost all of the sacrifices are really details about the kidneys and the liver and the suet fat and all the mm -hmm. connective pieces inside, right? Even the blood, all this stuff is very internal. And there's something interesting about the way that Leviticus is structured that's like always trying to point you back to like the middle and the core and the heart. This is also a teaching, last thing. Uh, of what Rabbi Natan Margalit, who like points out that the heart in the Bible, right, is just the holistic core. Right? We all talk about it these days as right the seat of emotions, but for our biblical writers, it's the center of oneself, and it's right connected to the. Right in French, we have cœur, right, which cœur, is heart, yeah, heart, but also is connected to core. I think, or maybe this is just the drush. And uh, I think it is connected to the root for courage, right? which is when we like really yeah. take our whole selves and do something. We'll have to get back to that. I, I like anyway, etymology. It's not true. <laughs> this isn't a real etymology. It's at least, I think, a pointing in a certain direction that like Leviticus does have these ways of thinking that wants to like ease us into certain associations that may not be clear right at the start, but maybe we'll keep exploring them as we keep getting into this book. Absolutely. You've actually got me really excited for it. Like we kind of start with this thing that seems so far away from our day-to-day -day life, temple sacrifices in a temple that doesn't exist anymore, but we brought it back to our day-to-day -day kind of warm inside of our home, the khala, kind of the physicality of the animals, the intestines of the part of the animals that we're sacrificing, kind of moving inward. And also how it's almost like a nesting doll within itself, always mm -hmm. that how the temple is like a nesting doll, how the Torah is like a nesting doll, how we are like the temple, it's like a nesting doll. I think we've really kind of looked inward about looking inward mm -hmm. in this week's Parsha. Um, and with that, me and Aaron actually have to run to a Jewish play, the Dybbuk. Um, but thank you again for joining us uh, this week's Parsha podcast. As always, I am Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Join us next week for our review of The Divic. The Divic. See you then.